Well, we're now going to have our reading, and um, Ozzy is going to, to bring that for us. It's from John chapter 10, verse 1 to 21. And the page number's there on the screen. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thank you, Ozzy. Well, as we come to God's word, let's, let's pray. Father God, we are conscious that so we may be here this morning and the Maybe many voices going around inside our heads. And so we do pray now that you would quieten them, that we may be able to hear clearly the voice of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, and that as we do so, we will be filled with love for him and a desire to follow him. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, we talked earlier about how the Bible describes people as sheep. Uh, one of the reasons being that sheep are uh, quite um, dumb. 
Um, you know the saying, if um, someone told you to jump off a cliff, would you do it? Well, sheep would. Um, a couple of years ago in um, Turkey, while the shepherds were busy having a little bit of breakfast, uh, a sheep they were meant to be looking after jumped off a cliff, and um, they were fo- it was followed by 1,500 other sheeps. sheep. Um, 400 died. I think the others landed. I guess a soft landing. Um, some blessing, blessing in that. Um, the sheep will follow others. They're, they're prone to wander. A couple of years ago, Liz and I were in the Brecon Beacons uh, going to pick up the boys from Christians in Sport Camp and um, spotted this little sheep here on the left-hand side of the photo. If you actually can't see it. And you think, well, we've got all that green grass, flat places where you could eat green grass. Why would you choose to do it on the side of a, of a hill and risk falling off? The other thing about sheep is they're pretty vulnerable, aren't they? Um, they can't scamper off like gazelles when attacked. They can't exactly make themselves look ferocious. And they've nothing to protect themselves with, apart from a woolly jumper. So at the end of the day, they need a shepherd to look after them. The shepherd knows where the pasture is. He knows where the dangerous terrain is. He knows where the wild animals are. And the verse from Isaiah 53 we read earlier, I'm sure resonates with all of us in the more traditional language, if you like. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. That doesn't necessarily mean that we happen to wander across fields and and get lost and can't get home. That might be the case for for some of us. It's basically saying in God we have a shepherd who wants to look after us, who wants to provide for all of our needs. And yet very often we're just stupid enough to wander off and go and do our own thing. Or we're stupid enough to follow others who encourage us to do something that actually we know we really shouldn't be or is not good for us. But God knows what is best for us. He made us. He gave some instructions for us to to help us to be safe, to enjoy life to the full. But he didn't just give us an instruction manual and say, look, here you are. It's all in there. Just read that. No, he came and explained it in person. And he said, follow me. And he said that to everyone. Each of us here this morning can have Jesus provide for us, protect us and lead us and guide us through this life and into the life to come. But for him to do that means that we need to acknowledge him, acknowledge our need of him, admitting that we'd rather do things our own way because we think we know what is best or we'd rather just maybe listen to what other people think than what God thinks. It means admitting at the end of the day that we are vulnerable. And we haven't got our lives nice and sorted. That underneath the exterior, we are all, at the end of the day, helpless sheep. Jalisan, um, in a recent uh, talk she gave at Spectrum, where she shared her testimony, put up a picture of a, a nicely wrapped present with her name on Jill, and said to people, this is probably what a lot of you may think of me and my life. It's nicely sorted and ordered. But then she showed another picture of that box in a real mess with the paper everywhere and ribbons here, there and everywhere. And what she was saying, actually, now underneath, it's a bit of a mess. Our lives are all of a bit of a mess without Jesus. He's the one that puts it together. So the first step to becoming 
are Christians being honest and accepting that we are vulnerable and need help. But if we do get to that stage that we accept we need help, we decide to follow Jesus, why is it worth following him? Why is he a good shepherd? As he says, he claims to be a good shepherd. What is it about him that makes him good? Well, the passage actually gives us very clearly two reasons, one in verse 11 and one in verse 14. The first of those in verse 11 is this, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he goes on to draw a contrast between a shepherd and a hired hand. A shepherd is somebody who owns his sheep, who cares for them, who calls them by name, who leads them. Now, last week we saw the image of um, Jesus as a gate. Jesus said, I am the gate. And how the shepherd, we saw a picture of a shepherd lying actually in that gap of the sheep pen um, and actually physically phys- closing it with his body. So he's somebody who's prepared to do anything, even to the point of laying down his life for his sheep. And that, of course, is actually what Jesus did. He didn't just say it. He did it. And you may ask, well, why did he, what actually did his death achieve for me? The answer is back in our verse from Isaiah 53 that we mentioned earlier. The context of that verse is this. This is what the verse beforehand says. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And then he goes on to say, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way. Transgressions and iniquities are words used to describe what we do that is wrong. Sin is another way of saying it. God's purpose for for humankind was to, to enjoy the world, to look after it, under the rule of God. But people chose to, to do it their own way. And in so doing, brought upon them the punishment that we all deserved. But the amazing thing is that because God loves us so much, they allow Jesus to be punished in our place. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All the sin that everyone has done and will do is carried by Jesus, the scapegoat. He takes the punishment. And by his wounds, it says, we are healed. In other words, we are made right with God. We are healed spiritually. And in case we're wondering, this is a pretty um, cruel thing for God the Father to do, to lay on his son all the sins of the world. If we look at this passage, actually Jesus says four times, I will lay down my life for the sheep. And I think what he's doing is emphasizing that he is doing this of his own accord. He is choosing to die for those he loves. And so when his disciples will later see him unfairly arrested and and flogged and crucified, they will know that he's allowing this to happen. This was part of his plan. He's chosen the cross. This is his plan for mankind. He's also reassuring them that when they see this happen, this is not going to be the end. He will lay down his life, he says, only to take it up again. And you may remember that speech that Peter gave to the Jews on the day of Pentecost when he said God raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 
And it's through his dying and rising to life again that Jesus achieves our salvation. Let's just go back to um, the passage we looked at last week, though, because verse 9 before our passage this morning says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And to have life to the full is to receive the eternal life of the kingdom, to experience the perfect love of God. And so the thieves who want to steal and kill, the wolves who want to attack the flock and scatter it, they are the ones who would attempt to take that life away from us, the ones who attempt to convince us that Jesus is just not worth following. So if that is Jesus, the good shepherd, then who are the hired hands that he contrasts himself with? Well, they're basically those who are paid to look after the sheep, but have no concern for them. They're just interested, really, um, in the money at the end of the day. They say if there's any danger, they'll just scarper and leave the flock to fend for themselves. Some of you may recall the, uh, the cruise ship disaster in Italy a couple of years ago. There's a picture of it there where about 30 people lost their lives. And what upset many people about that was the recording of a conversation between the Coast Guard and the captain of that ship. And what we heard was the Coast Guard increasingly getting angry with the captain and basically ordering him to get back on board and sort out the rescue of his passengers. Don't worry about your own skin. Look after the ones you're responsible for. That is an example of a hired hand. Now, the hired hands in Jesus' case are probably the, uh, the Jewish leaders who, instead of teaching God's people the freedom of the gospel, the freedom we can find in Jesus Christ, just loaded them down with more rules and traditions. They gave the impression that they cared for them, but really cared more for themselves and their own position. They were really just hired hands. And throughout the Bible, God actually reserves a lot of, um, uh, of rebuke for the leaders of Israel when they don't look after his people, when they allow them to go astray. Listen to these words in uh, Jeremiah 3. This is what God says. He says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done. And he goes on to say, I myself will gather the remnants of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing. He's looking ahead actually to the day when he will bring Jesus, the good shepherd, to look after his people. Now, there's a clear lesson here for, for those, of, those of us involved in leadership in the church. But um, going back to, to John 10, I think there's a lesson here for all of us because we can't save someone spiritually. We can't make them right with God by laying down our lives for them. That would achieve nothing. But I think the passage is not just pointing to the salvation that Jesus achieved for us, 
but also the love and care and protection that he's modeling for his flock. And so it does raise the question, doesn't it? What are we prepared to lay down to protect those who are Christians? Or maybe to help those who are not Christians come to faith and know Jesus Christ themselves? Or put another way, what is so important to us that we're not prepared to lay that down for the sake of others? This morning we'll be welcoming some new members into the church. And to become a member of the church is not just to be able to devote to church meetings or to get your picture in the, in the yearbook. That's not really what it's about. It's saying, I'm prepared to make sacrifices for the good of others in the church. I'm prepared to use the gifts that God has given me to serve him and to serve others. Jesus is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus also says he's a good shepherd in verse 14 because he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I wonder how many people you would say that you know. As soon as you ask that question, you inevitably start to think, well, what does it actually mean to to know somebody? Is it how many friends you've got in your, your Christmas card list? Is it how many you've got on Facebook? But then it's possible, isn't it, to have friends on Facebook without actually even meeting them. Maybe it's that you know a lot about somebody, where they grew up, their school life, their their career, and their interests. And that obviously helps a lot in, in knowing somebody. But again, you can read that about somebody without actually really knowing or even meeting them in person. I think to truly know someone is to know their inner thoughts, to understand what it is that makes them worry or get excited. It's someone that you can trust so much that you can share your deepest thoughts and desires with them. What does Jesus mean when he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me? Well, he gives us a clue in the next line because he says, just as the Father knows me, And I know the Father. Now you can't have a more intimate knowledge or or relationship than you have between God the Father and God the Son. They've been together throughout the whole of history. Since the beginning of time, since before time, they were together. They have perfect knowledge of one another. They share the same will. And even when Jesus is on earth, he's in constant contact with his Father. The only time when they are separated is when Jesus is hanging on the cross. When the sin of the world is placed on him. And that is what makes that moment so painful for him when he is separated from his father. So when Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, he means there's a very special relationship between Jesus and his sheep. Yes, he knows everyone because he made everyone. Yes, he loves everyone but not in the way that is meant here. This is a relationship that will last beyond this life and into eternity. To know Jesus is not just to know who he is, to to know that he was a guy who was born to to Joseph and Mary 2,000 years ago. This is, I know Jesus. He's my personal friend. I speak to him every day. I trust him for my life, for my eternity. He's the one who laid down his life for me so that I can be made right 
with God the Father. And I'm looking forward to seeing him face to face and being with him forever. That is what gives my whole life meaning, my relationship with him. The ones Jesus takes to be with him will be those who know him, who've given their lives to him. There's no possibility of just being a casual acquaintance with Jesus. You're either a close friend or you're not a friend at all. You just turn back to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7 in your Bibles, and there's a, a terrible warning in many ways here, but one we shouldn't ignore. Matthew 7:21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Well, maybe we, we do know Jesus and we do enjoy that relationship with him. We are friends with him. We are secure in him, but maybe we just don't feel that sense of security. Maybe because there are other voices going around which are, are trying to undermine our faith, to lead us in a different direction. People telling us that there, there are more important, interesting things in life than, than God. People will tell us that maybe that we're just worthless. How could anybody love us? People who tell us that God doesn't care, he doesn't actually exist. What are you doing believing in a God like that? People like Stephen Fry, who said in an interview last week that God is capricious and utterly evil. And over five million people have viewed that YouTube video with his interview. As I said earlier, next Sunday evening we'll have a chance to look at how would we respond to, or how would God respond to, to him. Well, the key to avoid being influenced by other voices is to know clearly the voice of the Good Shepherd, to be so convinced of his love, his faithfulness. Last week, if you were here in an all-age service, Rob and Jackie got her four children out of different ages, and uh, their four dads. Uh, the dads had to say something, which uh, the children had to then, being blindfolded, say, well, actually, which one of those whose voice I heard was my dad? And when the dad said uh, quite a long sentence, you know, it was quite easy for their children to, to recognize them, even if they were all Irish and sounded the same as the rest of us. Um, but when they only said one word, it actually got more difficult, didn't it? And one person nearly got it wrong for a moment there. And it sounds obvious, but the less our knowledge of Jesus and his teachings, the less we've experienced him come to our help as we've called out to him, the more vulnerable we will be to other voices. The more confident we are in our knowledge of him, the more those other voices will be drowned out. So we hear Stephen Fry rants about God as being capricious and, and, and evil. And, you know, on the one hand, it, it makes us cross because that is just disrespectful to the God of the universe, the one who's done so much for us. But it doesn't undermine our faith because we know it's just not true. 
you know, we know from our own experience that, that God is actually a loving Father who, who's adopted us into his own family. That his son was prepared to lay down his life for us. Would Stephen Fry do that? I don't think so. And so instead we feel a sense of pity really first for Stephen Fry because he's blind to the truth. And so we turn and pray for him. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And the good news is that Jesus wants to know us. He wants us to know him. He sent us all a friend request. And so we have a choice, don't we? Do we accept him? Do we confirm that uh, friend request or do we ignore him? And you may feel at the moment, well, actually, I don't really know him well enough to know whether he really is a good shepherd, whether I can really commit my life to him. And if that is the case, then let me encourage you to get to know him better. There's always opportunities for for us to, to help you with that. Just come and have a chat with me afterwards. Once we become friends of Jesus, we become part of his flock. And he promises always to be there for us. He promises to protect us, to guide us. We may still be tempted to to stray, but if we do so, he will leave the other 99 sheep and come and search and find us and bring us back into the flock. Not a flock where we blindly follow those around us, but a flock who willingly, who confidently follow their shepherd, knowing he is the good shepherd. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that Jesus is the good shepherd, that he demonstrated that by laying down his life for us. We thank you that through him we can know you. We thank you that he is the the good shepherd, that he knows his sheep and his sheep know him and Lord we want to to know him we want to know him more and more deeply we want his voice to so um, be loud in our lives that we hear no other competing voices that we follow him as the only way to go because we know that is the right way and we know that is the way that leads to life in all its fullness life in eternity So, Lord, help us now to follow him, to listen to him, to hear him. Help us to know him in the way that he knows you and you know him. In his name we pray. Amen.